Would you stand with me for the reading of God's Word? We're going to remain where we were last week, picking up right where we left off in Luke chapter 23. Luke chapter 3, and today we'll start in verse 32. Come to another hopefully familiar passage, but just one that is so filled with nuance, so filled with just uh, God's hope and promise. I pray that you are blessed today by the reading of God's word. Two other men, both criminals, were also let out with him to be executed. When they came to the place called the skull, they crucified him there, along with the criminals, one on his right, the other on his left. Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. And they divided up his clothes by casting lots. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, may we be forever changed by your word, your written word and your living word. Lord, may we be forever changed by the gospel of Jesus Christ, by the love the Father has for us, Lord, that we will never be the same and that we will enter with you into eternity. And we are forever grateful. We love you and praise you this day in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. So we continue on the way of suffering, way of sorrow from the cross to the cross. We have arrived there and we will be there for the next few weeks obviously with the the coming of Easter in this Lenten season. But today the title of this sermon is the ugliest place. I want you to think for a second of what the ugliest place that you have ever been is. Now don't say it out loud, but may the ugliest place that you've ever been, and that can be many different things. It can be maybe the feelings that you had in some place. It might be the abuse that you have taken on from someone that was supposed to love you. It might be the physical challenges, the physical barriers. It might be a difficult place that you've been. Maybe you've been in the military and been in the places that are dark, cold, hungry, without sleep, under duress, threatened. It might be a place that is just a place of isolation and loneliness. There are many difficult challenges and difficult places in this world i thought about mine and and you know what <laughs> i go back and i feel like i've been in some of the dirtiest ugliest place ugliest places but you know what if we think about it myself i don't think i've been nearly as as many ugly places as most people and i think about the world today we have some that are in the middle of war that we couldn't even begin to imagine we have lived in a place where if we think in our history, the ugliness that truly is slavery, that we could have a place that we would try to even use these words at times to justify that. We have a place in times of famine where not only do you not know where your next meal is coming for that day, but you don't know where your next meal is coming for the next month. We have those that have been in Haiti even with 
hurricanes and earthquakes have been hit time and time again, losing everything that you have had, we know that we have some ugly, dark places in this world. And that makes sometimes the whole thought of even having God and there being a loving God difficult. Amen? We're being honest. It's hard sometimes, especially before we've experienced the truth and the love and the grace and the mercy and the forgiveness of a loving Savior. And then I think of that Savior. And I think of the ugly place that He is at in this point in Scripture. That He has been beaten. Beating really doesn't even begin to describe the torture that he underwent. But it's not just physical. We saw, even as he's entering from the garden into this pathway, the emotional anxiety, the emotional duress that he is under, the darkness that he is at. And I am sure that he felt lonely at that point in time. That not only that is going physically, then now he is being accused, convicted as an innocent man. I tell you, isn't that one of our biggest fears? Is to take a punishment and be accused of something we have not done. To not only be accused of it, but then be convicted and then actually sentenced and taken to a punishment that was not ours. Now start to put all those things together. And all these wounds being drug through the dirt and the mud have that pressed upon your back have that that whole isolation be put up on this cross that's a pretty ugly place yet when we come to these words in this passage today in the most ugly of times that we can imagine there is hope there is forgiveness and there are some beautiful words that are being spoken, not only to them, but to us even today. Amen? Two other men, both criminals, were also let out with him to be executed. When they came to the place called the skull, they crucified him there along with the criminals. One on his right and one on his left. You have maybe have heard sermons on this before. This is normally the focus of that. It's not necessarily the focus today, but that we have the, obviously this choice of we are going to follow, we are not. We are going to believe, we are not. We are going to call him king and lord, or we are not. We are going to mock him, or are we going to cling to him? That there's this choice to be made, and that certainly is an understanding of this scripture here. That we have these two of similar circumstance. And they are put, even at the same time, in the same circumstance as Christ Jesus but what has led them there has been very different. And we have this one on the right and this one on the left. And we have these soldiers that have done all this mocking. They've put him up. They've beaten him. They, they are there to do even more. And what does Jesus say? These are the beautiful words of hope. He calls upon his Father with authority, with love, with grace and mercy. And he says, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. I am glad to have a God that loved me so much to humble himself 
to become a man, to be put on a cross, to be in the worst and darkest of situations, and to still not think of himself, but to think of you and me. That's a good God in a difficult place. The soldiers, they divided up his clothes by casting lots. The people, there was still a crowd. The people stood watching. And the rulers even sneered at him. And I just, you have to get this understanding in this picture in your mind that all of these around that had been good religious leaders, that had been the ones that had followed the law, the ones that really were just so worried about themselves that they didn't understand what Jesus was doing on that cross, that they didn't understand that this was fulfilling everything they had been living their entire lives leading up to, that they were searching, looking, praying for a Messiah that was now before them. And they were so caught up with themselves rather than others that they would miss it, but not only miss it, they would mock it. The message today, we'll jump to the end. We love to do, I love to do that. You guys may or not, I don't know. But I love to jump to the end. The message today is it's not about us. It cannot be about us. It can never be just about us. That the heart of God, if you claim to call him Lord of Lords, King of Kings, and say that his spirit lives within you, to say that you are a man or a woman of God with his spirit flowing out of you, that even in good times, let alone bad times, to make it all about us and not about others is not the spirit of Jesus Christ. The spirit of Jesus Christ is always thinking of others always doing for others always providing for others that is when we forget about ourselves but we believe that we have a god that is going to provide for us so that we can provide for others the model of jesus christ is good and it is what we are called into father forgive them for they do not know what they are doing And even as they sneered at him, uh, they said, verse 35, they said, he saved others. Let him save himself if he is God's Messiah, the chosen one. Again, mocking him. But you know what? There's truth in that statement here. There is truth in this. They knew that he had saved others. They knew that he had had miracles. They had seen these things and it wasn't enough in their mind to bring them to a good God. That it was so worried about themselves that they were missing it, even though they had seen with their own eyes and heard with their own ears. Let him save himself if he is God's Messiah. <laughs> For good Jews at that time, that is, I'm going I'm to be a little harsh right now, that's a dumb statement. Because what, what was the Messiah coming to do? Was the Messiah come? Was he called? Was his purpose? Was the whole prophecy for him to come to save himself? No, that's the whole purpose of the Messiah is to come to save others, not yourself. They were missing what was actually happening in front of them. It was the Messiah. He was the chosen one. The soldiers also came up and mocked him. They offered him wine vinegar and said, If you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. Again, missing the entire point of who Christ was and what he came for. 
So in the darkest, in the ugliest place, Jesus still thought of you and not himself. There was written a notice above him which reads, This is the king of the Jews. A truer statement had probably never been made for them. One of the criminals who hung there hurled insults at him. Can you imagine? He is in this darkest place. And see, he is getting caught up in something that we might call the mob mentality. He is getting caught up. And you know what? I just want to look good in front of them. I'm already... Can you imagine being sentenced to death on your cross, on your crucifixion day, that you are there, and instead of... You're still trying to look and hurl insults and difficulties and ugliness onto others. We want to share our ugliness too often when we are of this world. If we're going to be in pain, we want others to be in pain, right? If we are going to be uh, oppressed, we want others to be oppressed. If you're going to hit me, I'm going to hit you back. But that is not the love and the heart of God. That is not the Spirit of God. That even in His time of crucifixion, He wanted others to be hurt. He wanted to be liked by this world and not by the Messiah hanging on the cross beside him. Then we have these words. Aren't you the Messiah? Save yourself and us. We don't know, understand even fully maybe the irony or, or what the, 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 this thief is thinking, the impenitent thief. We can't even really understand what his mind is here. He's like, if you could actually save yourself and us. See, he was asking for the Messiah. If, you know, maybe you really are, I don't know, but I've been mocking you, so I don't know why you would do anything for me. But if you're truly the Messiah mocking him, then not only come down, but then do it for me. That doesn't make any more sense either. That if, if, if he would say, if save us, save me, I don't think you'd be mocking him. So he's, he's not believing this. There's no belief in what he has brought to this time in his life. Aren't you the Messiah? Save yourself and us. See, the irony here is he's asking him to do the exact opposite. Listen to me. He is asking him to do the exact opposite that he should want. See, the Messiah, Jesus, as God, divine, could have saved himself. He was asking himself, he's asking Jesus to take himself off of the cross. And the last thing, if you want to be saved, that's the last thing that you want to be done, is for Jesus to get down from that cross. And asking Jesus to do that, and even, you know what, Jesus not only could have taken himself down on the cross, but could have taken this criminal off the cross, but that would not have saved him. The irony of that statement is so strong. But, don't you love those in the scriptures so often? It's a powerful thing. But the other criminal rebuked him. I can't imagine it's going through his mind on, uh, that this criminal justly condemned in his own place of darkness, his own ugly place, that he is on the cross in pain, in a difficult spot, hears this and doesn't ignore it. 
we start to even see at this point a change in heart, a compassion of Christ. He is having more of the Spirit of Jesus with him right now at this point than this other person has probably ever shown. He is saying, you know what, don't you fear God. Isn't that a starting point of a lot of things, is having a healthy respect, a healthy fear of who God is. That shows belief. That's the change that we have, is there's a belief in something else. There's a belief in the authority of something else. There's a belief that I am not God. Don't you fear God, he said, since you are under the same sentence? We, it says here, are punished what? We are punished justly. For we are getting what our deeds deserve. But this man, he deserves nothing. So our belief has started to change into a recognition of who Jesus is here. I believe and I fear God. And I know that this man next to me is innocent. Yet he is up here taking on the very same sentence that I have. Remember, this is the ugly place. Then he says and asks, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. We're all about remembrance. We've talked and preached about that before, that this world says, you know what, you're not successful if people don't remember you. You're not successful if, if for generations they won't remember you in here. And that is all worth nothing. It is the things of this world that will fade away. But he is saying, when you come into this new place, when you come into your kingdom, when you take your rightful place on the throne, will you remember me? The other thief just didn't understand that. He just wanted to go along with the crowd. He just wanted to be remembered for them, even for a short time, as smart enough to recognize that I need to mock somebody else. How terrible is this? But this other thief, recognizing now, hmm, now I, only, I believe God, I recognize who he is, but he's also in this instance recognized who he himself is that he has been justly condemned see one of the hardest parts about the gospel hardest parts about these stories is for us to believe that we are righteously condemned We know we've done things now that if we look back at our past that we have not lived in a perfect way, we understand. But even from the beginning, we were not righteous. That that doesn't sound right to us. That we have a hard time getting over that. But see, a God that will put us and allow us to be in this dark place doesn't allow us to live in this dark place, this ugly place, without immediately having a desire for us to be able to go with Him where he is going to go. That's a real hard place for us to understand that he would put us in this dark place and ugly places. And we said it's much more than just what we've experienced when we think about people that have been born into 
circumstances that we can't imagine we think about those that are sold into sex slavery even today that it's not like these things are all in our past they are places that we can't imagine but even though that is allowed that god in that in his infinite love and infinite wisdom has provided a way out but see it's not a difficult way out that's what we miss. We're so often we're trying to make and earn all those things that we know we cannot do, but we're saying it's, it's easy. We see in this story, that's the power of this story. It is the absolute proof of a couple things. It is proof that we'll talk about in a second of the authority of Jesus, that he gets to be the judge. He is the one that knows our hearts. That is a truth. That is a promise. But we make it much more difficult than it has to be. We have on here a thief justly condemned on a cross. I'm going to use some language from... uh, Look up Alistair Begg, the man on the middle cross is probably the most powerful two minutes of preaching I've ever heard in my life. And it speaks to his authority. See, this thief on the cross, he's, he's guilty. Is he ever going to be baptized? No. Is he ever going to understand any deep theology? No. Is he ever going to be able to even do a single good deed? No. Yet we have the very God-man, Jesus Christ, on the cross that looks at him, says, truly, I tell you today, you, you will be with me in paradise. Those are some amazing words. How privileged are we that we have not had to get to that point to look to the same God, to have the same God look at us and to say, if we believe, if we recognize who he is on that cross and that he's there for us, that it's not our deeds, not anything else, but he tells us the exact same thing. We serve a wonderful, loving, forgiving grace-filled God that stays with us even in the ugliest of places. It's not about proximity. Some people just try to get closer and closer and closer to God. You know what? You don't get much closer to God than being set on a a cross right next to Him. But see, one was with Him, and one would not believe. They would not let themselves believe. They would rather listen to the world and the, the things the world would say were true rather than the living God next to them. It's not just about proximity. It has to be about heart. And we talk about that authority of God, right? The authority of Jesus that is on that cross He knows our heart. He knew that this did not believe and he knew that this did. The thief didn't have to prove himself. He just had to believe. And God knows when you believe. You don't have to prove it to a church. 
You don't have to prove it to a pastor. You don't have to prove it to a parent. You don't have to prove it to a son or daughter. You just have to believe. And God and Christ and the Spirit know. Amen. That is who we are. And see, we talk about the there's some out there with it say that when Jesus came that he gave up his divinity. That is heresy. That is not true. You know, the, Jesus, the, we can do everything that Jesus did because Jesus was just a man here that, that God loved, that, that he gave up. That, that's not true. He was fully man and he was fully God. He was able to do whatever he wanted. He was able to come down on the cross, yet didn't. He was able to save one or both, or neither. He has the authority of all. And it is on His authority that we are saved. Not from anything that we do, but having a belief of who God is, a belief of who His Son is, and what He did on that cross. But the one thing that we don't want to miss, that that other thief understood, recognized, and believed was he was humble enough to know that he deserved to be there. We, to get where God wants us to be, have to also be humble enough to know that we deserve to be there as well. But when we come to that, when we humble ourselves just as he has humbled himself, we too can hear those words and it's on His authority. What is so powerful about that, that message that was I said from Alistair Bay is he, he envisions this whole thing of, of this thief that has gone up. He has gone to heaven. He is there. He shows up. He doesn't know where he's at. He doesn't know who he's supposed to recognize. He doesn't know anything else other than Jesus said today, this is where you're coming. And they would come and they would ask him, on whose authority are you here? Do you understand even what you read? I didn't read anything. Why are you here? And he answers, because the man on the middle cross said I could come. Like I said, it's the most powerful two minutes of preaching I've ever heard. Sums up the gospel. Sometimes we do make it harder than it is. Do you believe that God sent his son? Do you believe that he came fully man, fully God, divine, but humbled, hungry, beaten, in pain? That he could have come down off the cross and saved himself, but instead decided to save you and me? That not only would he die for us, but we looked forward to Easter where we see that he was able and had the authority and the power to overcome and have victory over even death on his authority. To overcome death not only for him, but today you will be me in paradise. Yes, that raises questions. One day, three days, what happens? You know what? I don't care. I don't care. I don't care how he does it. I'm just thankful that he has done it. Today you will be with me in paradise. Continue 
in this Lenten season to remember who you are. To remember that we are sinners, but we are saved by grace, that we are brought out of that into a new life, that you are a new creation in Christ, that you will have new life here and you will have new life there, that you are called into a life to become more and more Christ-like, that yes, he died, he rose again, he gave that, he does that so that we may have joy, that we may have peace, that we may have all of God with us now, that we may enter into his life, but we do, in eternity, but we do bring his kingdom to this place because he has remembered us. And he will remember us. He knows you. It is about us. It is about a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. But, just as the one on the cross, Jesus understood What are you going to do with it, church? Are you going to continue to only think about yourself? Or are you going to truly think about the kingdom, about others? Are we going to model what Christ was doing? Would you have gotten off the cross to save yourself? Are you willing, church, to stay on your cross, to take up your cross so that others may see the power, the glory, and the forgiveness that is represented. And if that is your heart, and if that is your spirit, you too will be with him forever in paradise. Amen. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you so much for all that you've done. We are excited in this season, Lord, even though we reflect on the difficulties, we reflect on the journey that you have taken to get where we will be, Lord. We are grateful, we are thankful, and we believe today that you are the Messiah. You are the Chosen One. You are the King of the Jews, Lord. We recognize your throne we recognize your authority we recognize your love we recognize your forgiveness lord let us never forget and we know that we have a hope and a promise that you will never forget us that you will remember us that you have known us since we have been knitted together lord in our mother's womb till the very end of eternity which there is not you will remember us and we are forever grateful we are forever thankful lord We confess who we are, that our cross is just. But we also confess that you are our Savior. We believe. We recognize and we hold on to the truth that when we repent and we believe, we will be with you forever. We thank you and give you all of these things in the wonderful, precious name of our Savior that would humble himself would not come off the cross knowing, understanding what he is doing out of his love for us. We give these things to you in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. We're so happy that you've chosen to listen to our sermon today on the platform of your choice. We at Cory Community Church of the Nazarene continue to honor our calling to be kingdom people. We rely upon the gift of the fellowship and community to equip each other to fulfill our mission of reflecting the love of Christ to all those that God has placed within our lives. We welcome you to join us on Sundays at 1030 a.m. in Cory, Indiana, just south of State Road 46. God bless.